This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demarest, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. So earlier this week, I had a client reach out and she was wondering, they're looking to buy a new equipment trailer for their business. And she said, Hunt, what would you recommend us doing here? Buying, leasing this, paying cash for this. And how do those different options affect us as far as taxes go? And so I answered the question. I won't give you guys the answers right now. You got to listen to more of the episode. But I thought to myself, you know what? This is probably a a really good question that other people are probably wondering as well. So we're going to kind of get into that today. The different options on financing, my personal thoughts on financing stuff, preserving cash, and then ultimately how these different things affect you from a tax standpoint. Before we get into that, though, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Find out who the rock stars are in your shop, even if they don't sing their own praises. When you track each tech's productivity, you light a fire under everyone to run a more profitable shop. See it all when you get shopware.com. In today's world, managing the labor side of your business is more important than ever. Utilizing their industry-leading software, Labor Profit Management, Repair Shop of Tomorrow can help shops maximize their profits by developing a specific plan for each client. Please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. So I feel like that this is a really kind of timely example for this stuff because now by the time you guys are listening to this, it's going to be the first week of July and July, August, September, and then October is really our tax planning time. And next week, we're going to kind of be diving really deep into tax planning and how it works for our clients and what you should be doing for your own taxes. But one of the biggest things that people talk about is buying equipment, you know, and that's obviously going to be something that's going to be brought up when we discuss tax planning. But this is kind of a whole episode on its own, because when you say buy equipment, it's a very broad stroke, right? Am I buying it? Am I leasing it? Am I buying cash for it? Am I financing it? And then also when we get into equipment, it's like, well, Hunt, what about if I put a new roof on my building? What about if I redo the siding? What about if I get a new sign? And so I feel like that this is kind of a little bit of a good appetizer to get into the full tax planning picture. But today we're going to be going into kind of three different categories of large purchases that we see for shops and for different ways that you can finance those and ultimately the taxation associated. So first, we're going to be starting off with equipment, you know, and any piece of equipment or tooling that you need for your business. Next, one we're going to be getting into is vehicles, different kinds of vehicles, different financing. And the last one is going to be real estate and real estate improvements. Let's start off with equipment. And so equipment, you know, is kind of a broad spectrum of price, size, and all the things like that. First, what I want to talk about is taxation on equipment. So if you have a piece of equipment where it would kind of get into a category of we call it tools or small tools that is $2,500 or less, most of the time you're probably not going to finance that. You're probably going to be buying cash for that or buying it on account. And if it's less than $2,500, you write it all off in the first year, no matter what. So anything $2,500 or below is going to get expensed. Anything that is $2,500 or above is going to get depreciated. Now, as we'll find out in a little bit, we can still take the full expense in the first year. Something is $80,000, but it would be through accelerated depreciation, not necessarily an expense. First thing in the back of your head, $2,500 or less, it's going to be an expense. $2,500 or above, it's actually going to be an asset for the business. 
Now, the 2,500 number is not generally a hard and fast rule. If I have something that's 2,600, depending on what it is, we we'll probably will still just expense it off, but kind of a good guideline on things. Talking about equipment, a lot of people come to me and say, hey, Hunt, I'm thinking about buying a new alignment rack. I'm thinking about buying a new tire machine. I'm thinking about buying a new air compressor. How should I pay for this? This is not a one-size-fits-all option, but here is my logic behind it, and here's what I do when I go look at the financials. Let's just use an alignment rack, because that's probably the most common thing that people kind of want my opinion on. Smaller things like the new AC machine, they're just going to go get it. They don't really care. They need it. But alignment racks, you know, I've seen them get as high as $120,000, $130,000. So shout out to Hunter if you're out there. That's kind of the most popular one that we see, and man, they've gotten expensive. If I have a shop come to me and say, hey, Hunt, I want to get a new Hunter alignment rack set up. You know, they've already done their due diligence. They know that they can make money off of it. They're really just looking to see how they should finance this and how they're going to be affected for tax purposes. If you're sitting here and you're saying, all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy an alignment rack and you have $600,000 in your bank account. Realistically, I'm probably going to pay cash for that right? Interest rates are skyrocketing right now. Generally in the past, loans or equipment loans or equipment leases generally run about six to seven percent. I haven't seen one recently, but everything is creeping up there. I would have to say a lot of these equipment loans and leases could be nearing the 10% mark. And that's a lot of money. You think of over the course of, you know, if you have an $80,000 piece of equipment over the five years that you finance it with interest, you're probably paying over $100,000 on it. If you have the cash and the cash like that situation where you have just a ton of cash sitting around, don't use their money. Just use the cash. Now, if you have that cash and you have a kind of earmarked for future expansion, future investment, then great. You know, then you can probably use and go and get financing on it. I know what some people are thinking here is, Hunt, why would I use my cash when I could leverage my cash? I could invest that um, and I could use the bank's money. Sure. But if you're just going to have this money sitting in your bank account, getting you 0% interest, this is essentially a guaranteed 6, 7, 8% return on your money just by avoiding the finance side of it. So obviously, if you go out and you pay cash for something, you're going to get the full write-off in the first year. And on the case of a piece of equipment like an alignment rack, tire machine, air compressor, all of that stuff qualifies for accelerated depreciation. That means that you can write off the entire cost of that in the first year. What it would look like is you have an $80,000 alignment rack and you're going to have $80,000 of depreciation in the first year. It's going to match up the exact same time that you paid cash for it. Not a bad move to do if you have the money. Now, most of you listening right now probably don't have that much money in your bank account. Most people are either in the area where there's no way that they have even $80,000, or maybe you're sitting there with still a decent amount, $100,000, $150,000, and you're saying, well, Hunt, I could use my cash, but it would take two-thirds or three-quarters of what I have. I am not going to pay cash in that situation. And you guys probably listening to this long enough to know that I'm a little bit conservative when it comes to cash, especially in this current climate that we have right now. I'm really going to preserve cash in all aspects of it. And if I have a situation where I would have to use two thirds or three quarters of my capital, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to finance this. Now, when we're talking about financing it, we really have three different options here. The most popular one that we see is a lease to own. And so the way that a lease to own works, and some of you guys might not even know, you might just think of it as a regular lease, but most companies are doing 60-month financing, and they call it a lease. 
Now, the tricky part is there's another kind of lease that we're going to talk about next, but this is what's considered a lease to own because the last payment, you essentially give them a dollar or they build an extra dollar in there, and that dollar is you buying a piece of equipment. So you have it for five years, you give them their 60 payments, you give them that dollar at the end. At the end of those 60 payments, that is yours. Essentially, the exact same thing is getting a bank loan. The big difference here between getting a lease and getting a bank loan is when you sign up for a lease, you are signing up to pay them 60 payments of, let's just say, $1,500. If you all of a sudden fall into a bunch of money and you want to pay this off early, you still owe them whatever remaining payments at $1,500. There's not going to be a break on interest. You're signing up to pay that full amount. Now, on the other hand, if you were to go to get a bank loan for this, you owe them you know, $80,000 at 7% interest. If you make a payment for six months on it, we've now chipped it down to $75,000 of principal. You could write them a check for $75,000 and be done with it. So that's the big difference between lease or lease to own and bank financing. At the end of the day, the interest rates are usually kind of similar. Leases are generally a little bit higher, but banks don't like to do these as much. They're just not as familiar with the space. They don't want to deal with a default. What are they going to do with an alignment rack? Most of these vendors are pushing the lease to own. And honestly, a lot of my clients are doing it. It's very easy. They'll just go ahead, sign on the dotted line, and it's yours. Now, the big downside, though, like I talked about, is lease to own. We are committing for that interest for the entire life of this. So on a bank loan, if we have the money, we pay that off early. We're going to have some major cash savings, some major interest savings there. As much as you love the shop routine that you have now, I'll tell you that switching to a cloud-based shop management system will pay off in more ways than you can imagine. Not only will you let go of bad habits that are costing you money, you'll free up more time for your techs to fix more cars. Your quotes will be quicker and more accurate, and you'll make more money per part than you ever did before. We all know that time is money. When you streamline your day, you waste less time on repetitive brain drains. Start fresh by going to your favorite browser and looking up GetShopware.com. The orange Book a Demo button will set you on a journey for more profit and less stress. You'll never look back. Check it out at GetShopware.com. In today's world, managing the labor side of your business is more important than ever. Utilizing their industry-leading software, Labor Profit Management, Repair Shop of Tomorrow can help shops maximize their profits by developing a specific plan for each client. Do you know what your effective labor rate is? Do you know your technician's efficiency and productivity? Do you know how much profit dollars each technician is adding to the bottom line? If the answer is no, then this Napa Auto Care endorsed program from Repair Shop of Tomorrow is the program for you. Developed for shop owners by shop owners, this program will help you become more profitable on day one. Utilizing their unique labor management systems will allow you to work smarter, not harder. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. So in a perfect world, what I do if I'm analyzing a lease I would like to have options here. I don't want to just be committed to whatever the vendor has. And so if you're in the market and you're thinking about getting a piece of equipment, you know, especially in this market, I've seen a lot of people on back order. You're going to probably have to get your financing lined up before that. And what I would recommend doing is I would talk to my bank about either getting a loan set up 
or possibly a line of credit that they would allow you to use it to buy equipment off of and having all that in place. So when you go to the hunter rep and they say, all right, it's going to be $80,000, you can write them a check for it. It's not coming out of your money. That's going to be coming from the bank. But if possible, I'd like to do a bank loan because it's going to probably have a lower interest rate and it's not going to penalize us if we want to pay it off early. You know, well, I shouldn't say that. It's not not going to penalize us. It's actually going to benefit us if we can pay that off early. Now, the taxation on those is exactly the same. Taxation between paying cash for something, getting a bank loan, or doing a lease to own are all exactly the same tax treatment. So obviously, when you pay cash for something, you're going to get a full credit for buying it this year. If you get a loan, you're essentially treating like you bought it all this year. You're going to have a loan on the books, which you're going to pay down. But for tax purposes, you've essentially paid in full for that and can write off the entire amount. Lastly, if you have the lease to own type situation, you're in a commitment to pay them for 60 payments. And at the end of that lease, it's going to be yours. So exactly like a bank loan, that is all going to be able to get written off in the entire amount in the first year if you would like to. Now, one of the things here that I like to mention to people is if you get this and you're financing this, sometimes there's a consideration if you do want to write off the entire amount in the first year. A little example on this, and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about this next week when we get into tax planning. But let's say that you go out and you finance this and you finance $80,000. You write the entire amount off this year. You get a full deduction. If you wrote the entire $80,000 off this year, you're probably only going to make seven or $8,000 worth of payments, but we have an $80,000 deduction. If you do the math on this, you're going to have to pay them another $70,000 over the next four years that you're going to have no deductions against. So sometimes with financing, we're going to be a little bit more cautious about if we need to take that full deduction this year. Now, generally, no one likes to pay tax. You know, we want to make sure that we can get ahead of this stuff. And I don't want to pay tax just to say, hey, I'm going to save this money for the future. But it's definitely something when I'm looking down through clients financials to say, hmm, do we need all of this year? Do we want this to go to zero and get a refund? Probably not. We want to get you out of the higher tax brackets. We want to minimize that liability. We want to make it manageable. We don't want to completely wipe it out because we're using a lot of deductions for maybe a lower interest rate or a lower tax rate. So other kind of lease, like I mentioned before, is really something that we don't see very often in shop equipment. And that's what's called an operating lease. An operating lease is going to be a shorter term lease, usually three years. The way that an operating lease works is you have a set monthly payment, so you're going to pay me $500 for three years. At the end of the three years, that's no longer your equipment. You have to turn back that, you have to turn that piece of equipment back in, or you have to buy out the remaining balance on that. The only thing that I've seen, and this is very uncommon now because no one has these, is sometimes people did this for office equipment. So like if you had one of those large copiers, sometimes dealerships have these. A lot of people will lease those because they're really expensive. You don't want to have them that long when they get older. And so they'll lease them. They'll pay them $400 a month. At the end of the three years, they give it back, turn around and get another lease. The most common place that we see this is what we're going to talk about next in vehicles. Leading off on vehicles, let's kind of go the opposite direction and let's start on leasing vehicles, right? A true lease of a vehicle. For those of you that are aware leasing vehicles, you would pay your monthly payment and at the end of the three years, it's your choice to turn that car back in or buy it out for whatever the remaining value is on this. 
The way that that works for tax purposes is you do not get to write off the entire cost of that vehicle in any way, shape or form. Since it's not actually yours and it's not going to be yours because you're going to be turning that in at the end of the three years, essentially the way that that works for taxes is your monthly lease payment becomes an expense. So if you're a shop right now and you say, all right, I'm going to go lease a Ford F-150, it's going to be an $800 a month payment then you get to deduct that $800 a month payment every time that you make that payment. It doesn't matter how much the truck costs. It doesn't matter what the value of the truck is. You only get to write off the monthly payment. Now, a lot of people ask me, well, Hunt, you know, as far as vehicles go, what is your mindset on buying versus leasing a vehicle? I will kind of give a little caveat here that in this market right now, you got to take this with a grain of salt because we have one of the weirdest used car and new car markets right now. Sky high prices, people playing 10, 15 above sticker. But the general idea behind leasing a vehicle is if you like to keep a new vehicle on a regular basis, then leasing might make sense for you because you know you're not going to have that longer than three years. You're never going to get outside of warranty. It might cost you a little bit more, but you know that at the end of it, you're going to be able to turn it back in. Versus if you go out and you get a loan on a vehicle, depending on you know how far that value drops, at the end of the three years, you could be upside down on it. You could have a little bit of equity on it. You just don't know. If you like to have the new vehicle, if you have one, you drive for two years, maybe even the full three years, and you just like to trade them back in, turn it around, then leasing is probably definitely an option for you. Now, we don't see it with many shop owners because most shop owners are not afraid of having a vehicle outside of warranty, obviously, because they can do their own work on it. And so we don't see operating leases like that very much, especially for the kind of vehicles that we generally see. Trucks, large SUVs, not very common to be leased because they hold their value very well. Generally, the more expensive the car is, luxury vehicles, luxury sedans, luxury SUVs, those are the kinds of things that we see leasing because they take such a large hit as soon as you drive them off the lot. You know, 7 Series, S-Class, Mercedes, stuff like that are probably one of the hotter lease markets because as soon as you drive them off the lot, they're losing maybe 20% of their value. And also a lot of those can be problematic. And once they get outside of warranty, people just don't want to have them and the value falls even more. Now, like we were talking about, though, it doesn't really help us that much for tax purposes to go out and get a lease, especially if we're towards the end of the year, because let's say we're sitting here in October and you're thinking, "Hun, I want to save some money on taxes. I'm going to go out and I'm going to lease a new seven series and I'm going to be able to write off the monthly payment of this. If you go out and lease in October, your first payment might not even be due till January. So you're actually going to get no deduction for that. So if you're doing leases, just keep in mind, whatever monthly payment that you make is what's going to be your write-off for it. Let's talk about more conventional things, either buying cash for a vehicle or financing the vehicle. Tax treatment on those is exactly the same. If you buy cash for it or if you go out and you get a $60,000 car note, it's going to be treated like you bought it all. We're able to write it off in the first year, depending on what kind of vehicle it is. If you want to buy cash for it, if you want to finance it, both of those are going to have the same exact tax treatment on it. Now, as far as if you should pay cash for it versus if you should finance it, for those of you that's bought a new car recently, a lot of them want you to finance it because they're not making that much money on the front end. They make money on the financing side. Sometimes it can allow you to get a better deal if you finance it. But just like we're talking about with equipment, if you're flush with cash and you have more money than you know what to do with, then sure, pay cash for it so you're not paying any of the interest rates. But in today's market, 
Now, if you're listening to this a year down the road, you know, we're talking about in July of 2022, I am almost always going to take the financing on it. So a lot of these car manufacturers are subsidizing the interest rates on these car notes, and they're giving out 3%, 3.5%. Inflation right now is 8 or 8.5%. I am probably going to take that financing and run with it and be done. That's another argument, even on the equipment side of it, even at 7 or 8%, you're arguably just keeping up with inflation. So times like this where inflation is high, I'm going to be looking more and more towards financing than leaning towards using my cash. But again, if you have more cash, you know what to do with it. It's not deployed. It's not doing anything. It's not making you money. That's probably not a bad idea to pay cash for it if you can. A little trick here too is if you really don't want to finance it, but the dealership is kind of pushing you towards financing it, just put up with a song and dance and say, sure, that's fine. You guys can finance it. Almost no car notes ever have prepayment penalties. So turn around, they'll give you a car note, and then you just say, all right, cool. I'll pay it off in a month, and you're done with it. Let's talk about the different tax treatments of cars, trucks, and SUVs. So let's start with trucks. Trucks are an easy one. If you're getting a full-size truck, meaning you know not a Ford Ranger or something small like that, that qualifies for accelerated depreciation. Right. It's the most common thing that we see for shops. If you're buying a truck, it has a bed on it. You know, it has a closed cabin for passenger space in a bed. It qualifies for accelerated depreciation. In other words, you can write off the entire cost in the first year. You get a $60,000 F-150. You can write it off in the first year. If you get a hundred thousand, thirty-five hundred Denali GMC, you can write the entire cost off in the first year. Trucks are the most common thing that we see. Not only are they the most usable for shops, but also they're the best tax write-off. Now, SUVs get a little bit trickier because there's two kinds of SUVs here. You have a large SUV and you have a small SUV. Large SUV is not a subjective term. Large SUV is something that came around that the IRS came out with to kind of signify what would qualify for accelerated depreciation. And their definition of a large SUV is a gross vehicle weight rating of 6,000 pounds or more. And so if you want to look that up, there's actually websites out there. If you just Google, you know, what SUVs for 2022 are over that 6,000 pound mark, you'll go down through and you'll see a long list of different options that you have there. A lot of these car manufacturers know the tax treatment on this, and you'll see a handful of them out there that their gross vehicle weight rating is like 6,001 pound because they want to make sure that you're going to be allowed to write that all off in the first year. And that a lot of times, you know, adjusts the buying decisions based on, you know, what you can write off. Now, what generally qualifies as a large SUV is like any full size SUV or above. Obviously, something like a Suburban or a Yukon XL is going to qualify for it. But generally, a full-size SUV like a Jeep Grand Cherokee, a Ford Explorer, that area or heavier is going to qualify because it's going to be over the 6,000 pounds. If you get like a Ford Escape or you know a Kia Santa Fe or one of the smaller SUVs, it might not have a 6,000-pound gross vehicle weight rating, which means it's going to be taxed just like a car. And the way that cars work is cars were not able to take the entire amount in the first year. We're limited to the amount that we can take, and then we have to depreciate over the remaining five. So the limitation for cars and light SUVs is you're allowed to write off the first $18,000 in the first year. Whatever you haven't written off gets depreciated over the remaining five years that are left in the depreciable life of this. 
And so if you buy something like you go out and you buy some loaner cars and you get, you know, a Toyota Corolla and it's $22,000, it's not the end of the world that you can't write off the entire amount. You're writing off the majority in the first year. If you're going out and you're buying an $80,000 five series, then yeah, this is going to hurt because you might have paid 80000 for it, but you're only going to get $18,000 as a write off in the first year. So something to keep in mind there, you know, if we're talking about tax planning, tax savings, you want to be in a large SUV, you want to be in a truck. Now, not the great time for gas and diesel. Here we are sitting in Maryland and it's a little bit lower right now, but I think diesel's a little bit over six bucks. Yeah, and a 36 gallon tank on a truck usually stings a little bit. Let's get into the last section here, which is real estate. So a lot of times, you know, we're talking about tax planning. People say, well, Hunt, what should I do, you know, as far as real estate? I have some opportunities that I want to buy here. I'm not going to really talk about the financing aspect of real estate because no one's sitting here and they're going out and paying cash for a million dollar building. Everyone's financing this stuff. And everyone's aware that for real estate, you finance it. It's treated just like you bought it cash for tax purposes. Doesn't change the depreciation at all. People say, Hunt, I want to go out and I want to buy a new building. How does that help me for tax purposes? Short answer, it really does not. So commercial real estate has to be depreciated over 39 years. And even more so, if you buy a million dollar piece of property, 200,000 of that's going to be land probably, 800,000 of that's going to be the building. The 200,000 that was allocated to land never gets depreciated. You don't get any deduction until you ultimately sell that. So what you're left over with is $800,000 for the actual building, which if you divide 800,000 by 39, that's the yearly deduction that you're going to get on it. Not a very great option for taxes, right? Good option for expansion, good option for growth, not going to give you a good first year benefit. Next thing is what about if you want to expand your business? If you want to expand your existing footprint of your current building, that's going to be treated exactly like if you bought a new building. So if you're expanding the existing footprint of your building, adding another bay, you know, widening a certain bay, adding on concrete, adding on another roof, anything that expands the footprint of your building is going to be treated just like buying a new piece of real estate. And you're going to get a very long depreciable life of 39 years, not very good instant gratification or a first year tax deduction. Now, the last piece of real estate that is a very good option, and this changed back in 2018, is going to be leasehold improvements or specifically what we call qualified leasehold improvements. Now, you're thinking, Hunt, what the heck is a qualified leasehold improvement? So essentially, a qualified leasehold improvement is building or land improvements that do not expand the existing footprint of your building. If you read that even further, it's pretty much anything that you do to your property that does not expand your square footage. So if you want to put new siding on your building, that is a qualified leasehold improvement. The way taxes work on that is you can write the entire amount off in the first year or you can depreciate over 15 years. So about, you know, half, more than half of the life of what a new building would be or take the entire amount in the first year. Doesn't matter if you've got a bank loan, a line of credit or paid cash for that. If you have this qualified leasehold improvement, you're going to be able to write it all off in the first year. So a couple different things that always qualify for this is new siding on the building, you know, new signage on the building, new roof on the building, repaving a parking lot, painting floors, redoing a waiting area, redoing your break room, anything around the shop that you're kind of fixing, improving that does not make your shop bigger is going to be a qualified leasehold improvement. I shouldn't say all, I should always give you the caveat of most, but it's really 99%. 
I will tell you, though, is if you're thinking about doing something like this, before you're kind of banking on that to be a big tax savings, check with your accountant. This is the worst thing when we get to the end of the year and we you know, find out, oh, hey, by the way, you know, I did this, this and this, so I should be good on taxes. And I have to break it to them. And I say, hey, I realize that you went out and you spent $200,000 for that addition and you paid cash for it, but that doesn't help us for taxes. Now you're out $200,000 in cash and we got a big tax bill. I really wish you would have ran this by me. And a lot of times I get people that say, "Hun, I didn't want to bug you. You know, I didn't want to bug your team and, and ask these kind of questions. But this is why we're here. This is why your accountants are here. These are the kind of questions that you need to get answered so that you make sure that you're making an educated decision. Now, in that situation, would my client not have spent $200,000 to expand it? No, of course, it was a great move and it's really working out very well for him and his shop. And, you know, he made it through it. He's a very profitable business, very smart person. But if he would have known that, he probably would have financed that or at least financed a portion of that. So he didn't kind of run his capital down so low. Keep in mind there, anything that you're doing to your building, painting, floors, siding, roofs, you know, anything that you're improving to the land, uh, new lines in the parking lot, you know, new blacktop, something like that, that's going to allow us to have accelerated depreciation. On the other side of things, new building, expanding your building, expanding the square footage of your building, adding on addition, adding on bays. Again, going to be a write-off, but we're going to have to write it off over 39 years, which is not very good for the short term and tax planning. I hope that kind of gave you a crash course or at least some things to keep in the back of your mind so you can ask the right questions going forward. I hope this was helpful for you. Again, as always, if you have someone that you think this could be helpful for, or if you have someone that's thinking about doing this stuff, right? Thinking about buying a bunch of equipment, think about expanding the real estate. This would be a great tool for them to make sure that they're not making any mistakes and they don't have some surprise tax bills at the end of the year. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. I've been getting a, a couple really nice emails of feedback of saying, hey, how much I enjoyed it. I always love reading those. I appreciate that very much. So thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening apps. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there. And I will talk to you next week about the exciting world of tax planning. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.